Welcome to the Pop Zara Podcast. Like, love, or follow us today on Facebook, Twitter, and more. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pop Zara Podcast. It's the place you go when you want to listen to me talk. I talk all the time. It's delightful. I am here today talking to somebody else, in fact, speaking with Matt Kanai, who is the lead developer of Hanako Honor and Blade. This is a game that's been in development for quite some time, and it's got quite the story behind it. Um, let's go ahead and get started. How are you doing, Matt? Pretty good. How are you? Hey, Thanks I am. Thanks having me on. Hey, I'm glad to have you on, because, again, you guys have... Uh, you have quite the story here. It's pretty impressive. For all of you listeners out there, Hanako Honor and Blade has been in development for 14 years. 2008 is when they started. I've, I don't know that I've heard of any game outside of maybe Duke Nukem Forever that's been in development for quite this long. And I have to ask Matt, how? Tell me about this. How does this happen? There's, there's a story here for sure. All right, it's, uh, it's been a journey. It has been a journey indeed. Um, we started it as a college project all the way back in 2008. So at the end of 2007, my mom passed away. She was battling cancer for a number of years. And oh, wow. we had really long winter breaks. And I just decided I started writing. And the idea kind of came to me. I, I've always loved samurai stuff and martial arts, Eastern culture. And it, I really gravitated towards that. And it was one of those kind of wake up in the morning. Uh, I think this is the time to make the samurai game I've always wanted to make. I wanted it to be a metaphor representing my mom's battle with cancer. And started recruiting classmates, and uh, lo and behold, it kind of became our school project. We thought it was really great, and it <laughs> we were naive students. It really wasn't. <laughs> and uh, we learned a lot. It was a UT3 mod at that time, and then we went to UDK by the end of college, and then I uh, got my first industry job. The project kind of found itself on the shelf for a year or two, and then um, there was a scene I made for a project at work that I showed uh, one of the guys that co-founded the project, and he's like, "Dude, can you make Hanako look that good? We we should uh we should start the game up again." And at that same time, I was really, I kind of sent it to him, hoping he would say something like that, because I was I wanted to start it back up. Right. We we formed a new team and started basically over from scratch in UDK, and then I think like eight months later, Unreal Four came out, and I took a week off of work. I was like, "I gotta learn this," and we we made the jump and took the leap of faith in UE Four right away, and have basically been there ever since and that was the you know the last i think it's eight years now of just contiguous development all of us you know working busy jobs in the industry or a similar industry zero development dollars and we just the the skin of our teeth blood sweat and tears just and really a lot of our free time has been put into this the last decade or so Hey, no doubt, no doubt. Now, one thing you said a minute ago actually kind of hit me. You said it's based on uh, on your mother having passed away. You know, maybe I'm not the first person to ask you this, but if you if you guys haven't played Hanako, it's kind of a a samurai brawler sort of thing. It reminds me a little bit of For Honor. Can you explain a little bit how that connects to the experience that you had of Lost? Because I am curious. Sure. So since we went with multiplayer, and that was kind of uh, in college, we had thought. Oh, multiplayer will be way easier. We don't have to do victory cinem or we don't have to do cinematics and voiceovers and, and all this. Mm. Uh, that, <laughs> we were wrong. Multiplayer is way harder for a variety of reasons. Uh, right. We'll probably get into. But a lot of it was all right. The, the game world is going to be a, a metaphor for all the personal aspects, the the levels, the way they look, 
the territories of the game, the clans of the game. There's kind of two clans, one representing my mother and the other representing cancer. And over the course of development, the symbolism's kind of evolved because most of my teams lost a parent to cancer now. And I, I really, even during our launch, even I learned about more devs that lost parents to cancer I didn't even know about. Right. And how much closure it's brought to the team. And we kind of have like this visual journey you go across and, you know, our, our game has a campaign in a loose sense. It's not a, a hard linear campaign, but it is the map cycle starts you kind of in the middle and you go on a visual journey through whichever, depending on who wins. You know, Hanako territory is very beautiful and serene, snowy mountains, cherry blossoms and falling petals, that kind of thing. And the other side is very dark and, and each map is a little more extreme than the, the prior towards that theme. So you get maps where you're starting to see like dead bodies and gravestones, and then you get like hanging bodies and impaled ones, and it gets much darker until you get to the castles where, you know, one side is, you know, pink, spiritual, like surreal looking fog and a giant, you know, golden castle. And the other side is you have a blood moon, there's bodies everywhere, and there's demon paintings and demon statues, and there's kind of like those opposing forces right? kind of clashing together and that's that's the way that i've kind of injected the personal stuff and really they're kind of a, a canvas for me to work through the emotions i felt you know the hanukkah ones were a way for me to remember my mother and, and pay tribute to her and and live out the positive emotions and the other side was a, a kind of a, a therapy sandbox in a way to throw my anger and pain at a level and and create kind of these brutal moments in the maps to work out my own emotions around it. Kind of a way to vent, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah. Artistic venting, kind of like a musician, you know, writing songs about the losses and stuff. I, I really equate it to music a lot of the time. Oh, it absolutely makes sense. I mean, they're both art forms. So the next thing I've got for you is uh, you started in 2008 and it's 2021 now. And it might shock our viewers that our listeners rather do hear that things have changed a little bit since then, you know, in the world in politics and society, and especially in the gaming industry, I think. How would you say things differ now when you've launched your game versus when you first started developing it back in 2008? From a games industry standpoint specifically. I mean, I think gamers' expectations have increased over time. I mean, the quality bar has gone up so significantly because it's easier to make games now. The software is better, the tools are better, the graphics are better. It's easier to produce quicker, and gamers expect a lot. They... They expect a, a player base to be there. They expect everything to be AAA quality. They, that, it's hard to, to meet those expectations, especially with such a tiny team and resources. Would you say those higher expectations are a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's, as a consumer, it should be. I mean, like me as a gamer, I don't have time to play a lot of games. So when I right. play one, it needs to be the best possible thing. As in, from an indie developer, it makes our jobs very difficult because we, how, how are we, so there's like, you know, thousands of games for people to play. How is ours going to stand out to make someone want to spend maybe a very limited free time with it? That's a really hard proposition. Right. That makes sense. And one thing I wanted to mention as well, we talked about this a little bit ago, along with the games industry progressing over time, of course, there would obviously have been games coming out that have a lot in common with yours. And one of the ones that I recall seeing, first one with the E3, in fact, was uh, For Honor. Uh, obviously, you saw the trailer. You've probably even played the game. Um, what did it feel like to see a big AAA studio making a game that had so much in common with yours? Um, I mean, it didn't really bother me that much. We kind of we knew what we wanted to do. Our design was mature. We 
our theme, we're not going to change because another game's similar. I felt like with it being uh, multicultural with, you know, knights and Vikings and samurai, it wasn't specifically a feudal Japanese game. Right. Um, it didn't really, I was, you know, disappointed maybe for a second, but at, on the same token, I've always felt like melee was a, a, a niche genre and that having AAA going into that space may open the market more for right. melee games in general to be bigger. So I, I was like, you know, this could play to our benefit a little bit and, people that typically gravitate towards FPSs might also like melee games now. And that's, that's more people that we could possibly uh, catch the interest of later. Um, but we've always been compared to something from day one until now. It's just that the word changes. It's always insert big closest AAA game here comments going back, you know, to 2010 when we started releasing videos and stuff, it was always like, Oh, it's a indie this. And just this has evolved over time. So it's not really right. any... For Honor, it wasn't specifically something new. You know, now it's Shift 2 and Naraka. It's always going to be something. I gotcha, gotcha. So one thing I want to talk about as far as the differentiation between indies and AAA, uh, AAA titles is I'm sure, you know, I talk about this all the time on Popzara. If you guys listen, if you've read my stuff, you know it's a big point of interest for me. Kickstarter became a big thing, I want to say about 2011, 2012. Uh, Double Fine shows up on the scene. They kickstart Double Fine Adventure. Uh, makes a lot of people very, very wealthy. I noticed that you guys ran a Kickstarter, but it came in around 2015, which is a little bit after, you know, kind of the fad had come and gone. And I don't think your, your campaign got through. And I'm just curious about, um, you know, what do you think of crowdfunding and why didn't you guys hop on that train in 2012 when it was getting big? I think 2012, we weren't even working on the project. Really? It was, that was, that was kind of during the shelf period. I was really like focused on my industry job and, I think 2011 and 2012, we just, we just didn't work on it at all. So it was kind of, wasn't even an option at that point. Gotcha. Um, just didn't, this, the timing wasn't right. Yeah. And when we picked it back up in 2013, we wanted, at that time, perception was starting to shift a little bit. And we felt like we're looking at games that only had like concept art or something primitive in their development. And people were already sensitive, like, well, we're not backing this. Like, this is never going to happen. This is just an idea. Like, we need to see something. So we wanted to have a demo. And at the time, like, I remember social media games were still a thing, like sharing scores through Facebook and that kind of thing. And we wanted to kind of build that in and do this, like, wave timer demo just to give people an idea of what we were going for, to show them, like, hey, we actually have a tangible thing in the, in the works that you can see and play. We did Greenlight right before that. And it just it just wasn't in the cards. And it's really the thing we battled the whole time is trying to get media attention and press attention, have larger sites want to cover our, our game and to like have our story resonate with their writers. It's just it really has never been a thing. And it that certainly was the case on our Kickstarter. And we weren't um, experienced enough to know that we needed to funnel our green light traffic to it. We didn't have the means to capture those players that wanted our game and voted yes for our game somewhere where we could interact with them at the time. It was right. kind of like we got the yes vote and they were gone. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's got to be tough on you guys too. You know, over such an extended development cycle, you've got all these different fads in the industry that come and go. I mean, crowdfunding is not the thing that it used to be. Uh, even Greenlight is gone now. So yeah, I, mean, exactly. I mean, I'm sure you guys put a lot of time and effort into your Greenlight campaign and now that's just ceased to exist. Yeah, and I actually miss Greenlight. I think it was it was a great way to to curate because, like, we released at midnight on the fifteenth, and within an hour, the game was completely off the front page, buried behind like dollar games. Right. Just gone. All these what dollar crappy anime games, right? There's tons of them. Probably. I, mean, I can't I can't speak to their quality, but given the <laughs> price point, probably. 
It's <laughs> so diplomatic. Hey, so one other question I've got for you regarding like storefronts and selling your game. Uh, we talked about this a bit yesterday, but one point that was interesting to me was if you look at the Epic Game Store, I mean, everybody has their opinion on the Epic Game Store. My view is always, you know, more stores are better. But one thing about the Epic Game Store is that discoverability doesn't really seem like an issue on there because they uh they they don't take bad games, I guess. Might be the way to put it. They, they have a certain standard of quality that Steam doesn't really have anymore, I guess you could say. And you mentioned getting an Epic Mega Grant at some point, but your game isn't listed on the Epic Game Store. Can you talk a little bit about, a little bit about that? I think that's just a, a timing thing and like a, a busy thing. Like Epic is a super busy studio, obviously. They're huge. They have lots of partners and lots of, I guess, probably a queue to go through. Right. And it, it's something that I would love to do. Epic has been so great and they're so supportive towards so many developers that it allows studios to do things they wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And the Mega Grant's no different for us, though at a smaller scale, but it's still tremendous. Um, it's it's something that if the opportunity was there, we would do it in heartbeat. Gotcha. So continuing along the lines of uh, you know selling your game and actually getting out to the public, have you noticed there being kind of a shift in how the public views games in general these days? You said expectations seem higher. Do you think they're more skeptical, maybe a bit more cynical in kind of a post-Kickstarter world where uh, you know there were a lot of promises made in that period that maybe weren't delivered on? And has that been a problem for you guys? I mean, I think that I think gamer communities are maybe a little more entitled now than they used to be. Like they they want everything from every game, and and if you under deliver even one percent, there's a lot of anger. I mean, you see games studios and writers getting like death threats over like game updates and stuff like that's crazy to me right um i think i think it's people have to learn how to channel their their anger and frustrations in a healthier manner but i mean there's always going to be trolls and people that just be like sucks looks like looks like a cheap like crappy for honor like whatever of course we're going to get that and i think there is definitely a negativity towards specifically multiplayer games um i don't i don't really know why it seems like if you make an online game, you're kind of at a disadvantage already perception wise. But I think there's also just a lot of online games and online games are competitive. People are yelling at each other. It's a, it's a different mindset than like you, you're sitting down on your couch to relax and play a story game. Uh, I think hindsight, we, we really always wanted to do single player. We just thought it would be too hard for us development wise. And if I had one redo, it probably would have been to do single player. Gotcha. Now, let's a little bit spicier. It's always fun when I talk to you indie devs. Let's say that I am somebody looking at Hanako and I'm thinking about buying it. And, you know, me, I got a code. I played the game. I know what it's like. But as somebody who didn't have a code, would be paying for it. And I look at, say, Steam charts. And I look at, the, say, the Steam forums. And I don't see that there's much of a player base. And that might put me off a little bit. What would you tell me as a player to get me to buy your game? Uh, usually I say come to our Discord, join our community. We host events and matches, and we do our best to give players opportunities to play with humans, regardless of what the organic player base is doing. That's what we have control over. And if you support us, we'll do our best. And the more support we get, the better we can make the game. Makes sense. Diplomatic once again. So if, let's let's go a different tack. Let's say I'm an, I'm an indie developer, I'm up and coming. You know, I've seen that there's this big, wide world of game development out there. I want, to be, I want to be part of it. What advice would you give me as a new indie developer? What should I do? I think you should keep it small, keep it simple, focus around one really good idea or mechanic and develop that, prototype it, get it working really well, and don't spend 14 years on a game. Like, gotcha. Like, indie, indie, releasing an indie game is a lottery ticket, in my opinion. And the more ideas you work through that are good 
the better the chances you have. So make something that can be made in a, like six months or a year, or maybe two years at most and get it out there. And that's, that's a balance between the like $1 anime game where who knows how long, you know, a week might get spent on some of those. I have no idea. Right. And the like in our game, which is like a very different extreme. But isn't there like a pressure washing game or something that's just like super zen, very simple? Yeah, mechanic. it's blowing up on Twitch right now. Yeah, that's the perfect example of the like they just took one idea and ran with it and developed it very well. Gotcha. Like that—that's what indie developers should be doing. Totally <laughs> didn't do that, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and uh, and looking back, you know, you just said don't spend 14 years on a game. Do you ever find yourself wishing that you had some of that time back and that maybe you had followed the trends more, like? Maybe you would have helped out with a MOBA or made an indie MOBA of some sort when those are big, and maybe a Battle Royale game. And I guess right now, Slay the Spire clone type games or farming games are big right now. Do you wish you had maybe followed the trends more, or are you happy with what you've produced after 14 years? Kind of a mixture of both. I mean, on the personal side, there's I gave up a lot. to My entire 20s went into this project, and there's in a, in a way, because of how personal it was, it was kind of atoning for like not being better for my mom when she was sick. Right. And and atoning for th- things when I was a crappy teenager, you know? And, yeah, yeah. And I, when I look back, I'm like, yeah, I should have traveled more. And Hanukkah was a, an excuse to not do a lot of things. And I, I really should have just enjoyed life more and had more balance. And I certainly could have and still finished the game. Right. Um, but for what our circumstances were, I think we did the best that we absolutely could. You know, there was like eight of us. We, we had no money. If you if you equate the man hours that we put into it, even though it was a 14-year period, it was actually about 14 weeks of man hours for a 100-person studio. And when I look at it from that perspective, I'm like, I don't know a single game that was even playable for a, in public after 14 weeks. Right. And that, that I can be pretty proud of. Is it at a AAA level? That's not really up to to me to decide but for what we were capable of i'm happy with it gotcha. um, but i do think that uh like we we entertained doing a quick pivot to br and we honestly are probably still going to do a br mode just because i think it'd be really fun like whether people like it or not uh i just think it would be a great mode for our game to have as an option hey makes sense absolutely just to really nail home the, the idea of, you know, spending your whole 20s, you know, 14 years working on this stuff, what did a workday look like for you when development of Hanukkah was kind of in full swing? I mean, I guess you would go to work from 9 to 5, and then what? Uh, in the early days, uh, when I was single, it was like the, the second work was over. It was drive home, pick up dinner on the way home from probably 7 to 4 a.m., work on the game seven days a week. Wow. Um, that took its toll. No it was, doubt. That was pretty that was pretty easy in my twenties. One, like the second I hit thirty, my body was like, "Nope, you're like you're gonna have a panic attack if you stay up past two a.m. from now on." Like it just right. that's what my body decided, and that was hard. That was uh, I was like, "Ooh," but you know, my my wife was all about balance, and she's like, "Well, you're are you even like getting that much done? You're you're never sleeping. Like, why don't you try doing like four days a week, ten p.m. to two a.m. like a time box and see." how it works. And I did it. And I I was taking two, three days off a week and then doing that. And I got way more done than I ever did in seven days. I was sleeping, still getting, you know, seven hours of sleep. And it was, that was a game changer. That was like really the last like five going on six years. Kind of a work Um, smarter, not harder kind of situation. Yeah, exactly. And that was some of the stuff that, you know, since it's been in development for so long and we have to, you know, keep up with the time, so to speak, 
like I had to really, we had to really pick and choose what we put time into. And that's where like our project management had to really level up. Hey, it makes sense. And then uh, again, it does make sense because now the game is out. How does that feel to finally have all of that time back? You know, I, I imagine you guys are going to keep doing updates and stuff, but the game is out. It's on Steam. There's no early access banner. People can buy it and play it if they want. And you're free. How does that feel? It was, it was, that was, I felt way more relief than I thought I would. And the whole team immediately, I could tell, felt a, a huge sense of relief. Like it was kind of a, we don't know what happens next. We don't, but we also like just feel great to press the button. Like that's a, a hundred sales or a, a million sales. Like we shipped a game under crazy circumstances in a way that I don't think anyone ever has or, or and hopefully never does again for their right. sake. And since then, how has it been doing? If I can ask, and obviously you can't give me direct numbers, that'd be ridiculous for me to ask that. But generally speaking, are you happy with the reception so far? It's not quite a week, but we're getting there. I think the the reception's been extremely positive. I, I say the quantity isn't where we want it to be, but I would say it's almost entirely organic so far. And with under those circumstances, like it's okay. It's kind of along the lines of what our early access launch was. Uh, right. For what we put into it, it should be like tenfold or a hundredfold what it is, but. From a feedback standpoint, you know, I've, I've read the typical comments, of course, like it's a cheap version of this or it looks a little dated or whatever. But if that's kind of par for the course. Right. And I, I understand that because I don't expect anyone to understand that we're not a 100 person studio. It, a game's going to be judged against what people play. Right. And if they play, if they're playing the 100 person studio game, like why is it? Well, it's 14 years. Why isn't it as good as those? It's like, well. I could explain it to you, but I'm not going to. But it would probably take another 14 years to explain it all, which, yeah. So, hey, one last thing for you real quick before we uh, hop off of here. You have a lot more time now. I mean, you, your game is out. You're not staying up all night working on it. And a lot more time for a lot of us who are into games means a lot more time to play games. Do you play a lot of games lately? Like, what have you played recently that you were really into? This, this is an obvious one, Ghost of Tsushima. Of course. I, I should have guessed. Yeah, instantly top three game all time for me. I absolutely love that game. Last of Us 2, absolutely love it too. Gotcha. Uh, I think it's an a absolute masterpiece. Honestly, uh, I live in Atlanta. As you know or may not know, Atlanta sports teams aren't always the best. And, right. Uh, like playing team manager, I play a lot of sports games. Right. A lot of people are like, really, you? <laughs> Just because I, I like to repair Atlanta sports teams. <laughs> and, and like NBA or Madden or the show or whatever. I'm really looking forward to like Horizon Forbidden West. That the first one is one of my favorites. So I love story games. Gotcha. Single player, just sit on the couch, relax, enjoy a great story. Something you maybe hope to work on one day. Yes, I'd love to. Gotcha. Like uh, Shenmue Two is like my favorite game of all time, and because it was so ahead of its time, and the story so good. You know, it's funny. I have to when I show friends the Shinmu games, they're like, "What is this? Why is it so weird?" And I'm like, "It's weird because they're doing something that didn't exist back then. They didn't know how." Like. I don't know. I thought I thought they were super impressive myself as well. I, did you play Shinmu Three? I did. What do you think about that one? It it made me cry. How <laughs> how not not even close to Shinmu Two that it was. It's brutal. And being an Unreal Four dev and knowing they used it, it's like they they made it so clunky on purpose. Like they had to engineer clunkiness. Unreal doesn't even let you make it this clunky, and and I hate it because it's I re, I relate so heavily to the the personal and like the mission and how important that game is to so many people right but i i couldn't wrap my head around it. i never finished it i was like i can't roll the marble around the bowl anymore oof like, I, I just can't 
and I, I know there was like some money grinding in the other ones, but there was still like context and story and depth to it. Right. Um, there's a YouTuber, Donkey. I don't know. If Donkey, I love that guy. He's hilarious. He made his Shaman Three review like sums up my thoughts, and I and I hate it for that team because I I know how much went into it and the Kickstarter, and there's so much triumph behind it, and I I want the conclusion to that story so bad, but it, man disappointing that's my that's the lightest i can put it gotcha and hey one last thing all the games that you mentioned just now that you played or are are excited to play are on sony consoles is there any chance that along those lines maybe we see uh hanako show up on ps5 ps4 one of these days it's certainly possible we have console contracts for both we can do console at will it's just a kind of we we need some help with like the back end and some of the like certification stuff that you have to do for consoles and we just don't have expertise on our team to do that gotcha Uh, i have a lot of colleagues that do and it's certainly possible it's kind of a pc needs to basically pay for it and if it can then we'll we'll definitely look into that that's something that's like on our plans like hey it does this now we can do console awesome because we i've seen a lot of comments like this would be great on console and it's way less saturated so right I, i think it would probably do better than pc on either console or both and Unreal makes that a little bit easier for you than it did in previous days, right? Like a game you make in you in Unreal is probably almost ready to go on console once it passes certain such. Yeah, pretty much. It's like the, some server stuff, achievements are a little different, like parties and all that are, are a little different. But for the most part, it's like you don't have to necessarily recode gameplay itself. It's just like the stuff around it that's console or platform specific. Hopefully. Which is pretty great. Yeah, sounds like it. So hopefully it's something we see in the future. And uh, I know what we'll see in the future is definitely some more updates and such, right? Even if you are done with the game, I'm sure you're going to keep working on it. Oh, absolutely. We're gonna we're definitely going to support it for at least six months, kind of keep an eye on it. There's We really, depending on how it does, we could do two more years of stuff. There's like six classes we want to do and a bunch of maps and new modes. And there's it, it all depends on how well it does. And there's some minimal like, hey, well, we're, no matter what, we're going to do this. And <laughs> we'll kind of see how it goes from there. Hey, it makes sense. Hey, last question. Uh, why is the Ite the best class? I, I don't. I can't say the Ite is actually the best class. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone assumes that because he's ranged and has AOE that he's OP, but I, I think I could beat any archer with a Kenshi any day of the week. You know, I watched you guys in that dev tournament, and you made it work. <laughs> All right. So, hey, guys, thank you for watching the Popstar Podcast. I've been here with Matt Kanai, lead developer of Hanako Honor and Blade. Matt, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, We will catch you next time. And hey, remember, we will see you on the next level. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Popsara Podcast. For more quality original content, check out Popsara.com for the latest reviews and previews in gaming, movies, tech, and more. 